back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. This is Chris. Uh, as per usual every week, I'm here, but Brian's got the week off, so I'm doing my best to fill in for what he does on a weekly basis. And Pinch Hitting, uh, you know her from Apoto, and she's been on this show before we broke out into our, our you know network of podcasts. Allison McKay. Allison. Thanks for uh, thanks for stepping over to uh, another day of the week here. Anytime, anytime. So for the first time in what feels like forever, um, <laughs> as an ambulance goes by outside the window. Um, I was wondering if that was you or me. We're both in the city. <laughs> we're both in the city. So I was like, huh, is that me? <laughs> yeah, but it, 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 yeah. Uh, all sorts of audio. I think last week there was a, sometimes there's a flight path that goes pretty close to directly over us and we're not that far from any of the airports. So I like to think it was like a Shea Stadium City Field sort of homage. Uh, oh yeah, getting the authentic vibe there with the planes flying overhead. Yeah, I just need somebody to stand outside my window with a cowbell and then we'll be good. <laughs> um, but yeah, getting back to the 2019 Mets, uh, they won this afternoon in what feels like they've already set a record for uh, 12 p.m. day games this year. Yeah, I don't remember them being that common, but I think this was the third. Yeah, I dislike uh, them generally. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, I'm done. Like, the, the radio broadcast is off, and oh, there's still like two and a half more hours of work to go. Yeah. Um, but they won, and in doing in doing so, they won a series for the first time in. Uh, I was saying, felt like forever, and I think the actual last time was looking back, the Tigers at home. Yeah, the Tigers. It was like it was the week that they swept the Nationals in four games, and then they took two out of three of the Tigers, and everyone was like, "Mickey Callaway's job is saved. Everything is saved," <laughs> and then everything was not saved. Yeah. Well, more on Callaway in a minute, but, uh, you know, the team's 30 and 32. The division is still not being run away with by anybody. So right. where are you at? Uh, does, does this series win drastically change in either direction how you're feeling about these Mets? Um, not particularly, mostly because it's the Giants and they're not very good. <laughs> but, like... I don't know. I think it's just like it's frustrating because the division is so winnable. Like I don't like I don't feel like the Mets are very good, but I don't feel like the division's out of reach either because the NL East is a trash fire and actually most of the National League is a trash fire. Like the Mets are only like two games out, what is it, of wild card 2, which is like wild. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, you know, the, there's some games this evening, so it could change a little bit, but at the moment, uh, that is, yeah, that three games back of it. Three games. But, that's that's very doable, you know, but it's like, they're not a very good team, but the division and the, and the wildcard situation are very doable for the Mets, even like, even just getting on a little hot streak, they could do it, but their schedule coming up is pretty tough, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's kind of like the only teams that are toast are the Marlins and the Giants. And yeah, 
a few weeks ago that that didn't quite look that way uh, and i mean we all know that you shouldn't you know jump to any conclusions or get too worked up over standings that early in the season but the divisions were a little more or the league i should say was a little more top heavy and now pretty much everybody except the dodgers is really close to each other yeah there's a there's a level of parity in the national league in recent years not just this year in recent years that has not existed in the american league in recent years it's kind of interesting because the american league is almost the complete opposite where a lot more teams are eliminated like obviously uh, the baltimore orioles are very eliminated um the kansas city royals are very eliminated like there's there's a lot more american league teams that are basically out of it at this point than national league teams right yeah i mean you've got two divisions that right now the twins have a nine and a half game lead uh the Astros have a nine-game lead, and you know th- those are two divisions that have. Th- there's only one team over 500 behind each of them. Uh, right, it's wild. Like it's yeah, the percentage of teams that are trying in the American League is not high. No, no, it is <laughs> not. And I mean, we've we've harped on it, and uh, I'm okay with that because I think every team that didn't sign or have an interest in signing Craig Kimbrell should be. Uh, feeling a little bad about themselves that he signed with the Cubs and the same will go for Dallas Keuchel who nothing's happened yet but it sounds like he might sign somewhere soon Um, yeah it's just a weird space for baseball to be in if you you just totally divorce yourself from the economics of it and the you know players labor aspect of it and, and the ownership behavior and all that if you put all that aside i get why the league is into it It, you know it's making a lot of money and you have a scenario where a lot of teams matter at least in one of your two leagues yeah and that's why i'm very much pro second wild card even though i know when that structural change was made a lot of people didn't like it i think a lot of people still don't like the one game playoff if i had my druthers it would be a three game series to determine the wild card victor um and they would just like shorten the regular season which they're never going to do so it's irrelevant but um i like the two wild cards because i like the idea of teams being in it longer and being forced to try <laughs> rather than just give up at the trading deadline and be sellers i like you know i like more teams trying yeah yeah and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out we're not the that Mets. far away from the deadline you need a few more weeks and yeah. it'll be trade rumors galore, and they've changed the the rules. You know, the non-waiver trade deadline isn't a thing anymore, which is weird. Yeah, uh, that is weird. It was, I keep I, forgetting about that. Yeah, it, I mean, it's weird that it existed in the first place, but it, now it's weird that it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I always thought it was a weird sort of rule. Like, there, there's a trading deadline, but not really. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, and and then so much late season roster stuff just doesn't make a lot of sense. But yeah, yeah. But yeah, we'll we'll get there. But in winning this series, the Mets uh, they lost it at least partly, if not wholly, because of Mickey Calloway. Um, I didn't I didn't see that game, so I didn't get to live through that pain in real time. I just kind of heard about it after the fact. 
But me too. He not only made you know that decision or those decisions in terms of taking Syndergaard out of the game and then which relievers he went to the rest of the way. Um, and he's he's made plenty of curious moves recently. Today, some of them worked out. He he used three pinch hitters in a row. Yeah, that was a little bizarre. Pinch hitting for... I, I mean, I know that lots of people... We were having... Like, we were actually having debates in the Amazing Avenue Slack. There was not consensus about most of these moves that he made today in the Amazing Avenue Slack. Some were pro them and some were anti them. And it wasn't across the board either. Like, there were people that were pro some of them and anti other ones. And there was debate about each of them. I... I seem to be in the minority about this one, but I was pretty anti-burning J.D. Davis in that spot, even though I know that Tony Watson was not the best matchup for Dominic Smith. But Dominic Smith's on fire, and J.D. Davis is ice cold. And J.D. Davis, even when he's hitting well, is a, a ground ball machine for the most part. Like, he hits the ball really hard, but he hits the ball on the ground a lot. And I was, like, not surprised when a double play was the result. But, hey, they won the game. So, you know what? I'm not too mad. Right. And I think with that one specifically, it, it it's another one of these times that you have a game that is close, it's late, and for whatever it's worth, so far this season, Dom Smith has been one of your best hitters. And, you know, yep. we, we saw it a few weeks ago, that Saturday extra inning game that took – forever uh yeah, yikes. where the game was tied at the time uh and he, he double switches alonzo out and puts yep. smith into the game uh things He's like that freaking doing that <laughs> yeah so and it's just you, you know with today you you have smith coming out i at least in that moment there's an argument for Davis gives us a chance to blow this game open, uh, and, and we think Smith doesn't. But I don't know. I, I Even if he's going to be overmatched in the at-bat, I'm with you. I would have left him in there. I might not have pinch hit for Rosario because if I were going to send McNeil up there, and even though the move worked, it's still something that you, you don't, I don't think, entirely get off the hook for. Yeah, no, he, he got pretty lucky. I mean, I understand the rationale behind the move and it's the rationale behind the move is ultimately what made it work out because the rationale behind the move was Jeff McDeal isn't strike out. He's more likely to put the bat on the ball than Ahmed Rosario is, even though Ahmed Rosario is hitting well right now. Um, and <laughs> Jeff McNeil, as per Jeff McNeil's M.O., he like reached out. <laughs> he like reached out and poked the ball and got the bloopiest of bloop singles to ever bloop. Right. And so he got re really lucky um, that it worked out. But you know, Jeff McNeil was not looking like like it wasn't actually a good matchup for him. Like it like he looked overmatched in that at bat for the most part. But he got really lucky. But Ahmed Rosario might have swung and missed at that pitch. Do you, you know, he doesn't have as good of bat control or plate coverage as Jeff McNeil has. So, you know, it worked out, but it's, it is mostly in aggregate how he burned through all those pinch hitters in a row. <laughs> right. And, and we're working in reverse order here, but to, if you missed the game and didn't read anything about it, uh, he, he sends Carlos Gomez up as a pinch hitter to bunt. Even though Wheeler was doing fine and Wheeler probably, even if he wanted to take Wheeler out of the game, you could have left him in, in that situation and bunt still. Right. 
So he does that with runners on first and second. He sends McNeil up for Rosario. He, he bloops that single, uh, ties the game. And then, you know, Davis hits for Smith, and that doesn't work out. Um, so, yeah, it was just I, – I don't know. It, it, there was a point where – there have been too many points where it's been like, I, what what is he doing? And when it works out, I, I guess he can counter that by saying it worked. Results but. are results. But I think the problem is mostly – like, I mean – there have been the like truly boneheaded moves that he's made that you're like, he doesn't know what he's doing, does he? But then there's also the other side of things, which is slightly different than that class of moves, which is he's managing like this is the seventh game of the World Series every game because he knows his job is on the line. And that's what today was like. I don't think that any of these moves were like completely indefensible, like in a vacuum, but he's managing every single game like it's the seventh game of the World Series, like it's a must-win game. And that's kind of an issue when you're managing that way over the long haul of a 162-game season. You can't do that all the time. And that's why the bullpen's so burned out, because he's managing every single game like he has to win. And you end up losing a lot of games that way. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... I've wavered on it a little bit. You know, it's not anybody who makes the point, and and I may have made it myself at times over the last month or two, uh, that he's not the biggest problem, and you know he's only got the roster that he was given. There's only so much he can do. A new manager might not make that much of a, a difference. All of that is probably true and fine. It's all reasonable, but it just feels like they can't afford to have inexperienced uh or or just bad decisions affecting games over the course of the next few weeks uh, if they want to stick around and contend so yeah i tend to agree i mean i'm like very much on the side of like i'm at the point where like the manager doesn't make too much of a difference in baseball anymore so i can't find myself getting like too amped up to fire him like i think that the case for firing him is strong don't get me wrong i think that there is a case to fire him and i wouldn't be upset if they did but i'm not gonna get like excited you know what i mean like i feel like in eras past like a regime change when it comes to like the manager like gets the fans all fired up and is like yeah all right like we're ready for something different and like I don't think that's true anymore. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to get pumped about it. I'm just going to be like, all right, yeah, okay, they did it, fine. Let's see what Jim Riggleman can do. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. And, like, if it's Jim Riggleman, then, like, he's been there the whole time, so how different is it going to be? Right. Yeah, no, that, that is definitely a, a valid point. And on, on that note, it, it, you know, it's not going to be that different with Jim Riggleman. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and uh, talk about a pitcher who is doing his best to make all of us look foolish. <laughs> all right, so we're back, and... The aforementioned 
pitcher is probably obvious, uh, but we, we joked on the AA Twitter the other day, uh, Asen Vargas, uh, <laughs> Jason Vargas threw a complete game. Uh, it was a shutout, eight strikeouts, one walk, uh, and granted it was the Giants, but he did that on, on, uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday. Wednesday. Wednesday, right. That day. Um, so he, he goes and does that on Wednesday. Easily his best start ever as a Met. And I don't think I've been alone in the thought. And I don't think that the sentiment will be totally inaccurate. But I had written on the site early in the season that he can't make another start. He's not a major league pitcher anymore. Yeah. I felt that way too. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he is more serviceable than I think. And to his credit, over his last seven starts, he has a 1.85 ERA. Four of those starts, no, sorry, five of those starts were five innings or less. Three of them were in the four to four and two-thirds range. So you still have to take that kind of longevity with a little bit of a grain of salt because of the effects it has on the rest of the team. But in his time out there on the mound, he has... Uh, he's been very successful he went into those starts his first three he had a 14.21 era it's down to a 3.57 now baseball doesn't make any sense a lot of the time but is there (laughs) anything it did can you make any sense out of this um no he looks like the same jason vargas i i i cannot Um, I'm happy. I'm like really thrilled that he's making all of us look like complete idiots right now. That's great. I, I made, um, I, I like, I've been joking on Twitter the past few days that I fixed Vargas because on April 19th, which was like the first start he made that was good. That was like right after his string of like horrific starts where everyone was saying, you know, like he's not a major league player. Like we have to sign Keiko. We can't keep him in the rotation anymore. I made um, a tweet that got like some attention that was I was recapping that night. It was a Friday night. So I was on recap duty for Jason Vargas start. And I wrote a tweet that was to the tune of Barbie girl, except it was I'm a Vargie girl. And it was the lyrics repurposed for, you know, and it was come on Vargie, let's go party. And ever since I made that tweet, his ERA is 1.85, as you said. And so, you know, everyone's like, oh, my God, Allison fixed Jason Vargas. So I'm going to if he wins the Cy Young Award this year, I would like him to thank me in his speech personally, because I fixed him. (laughs) That's the only thing I can think of. Devil magic from Twitter. I don't know what else. Like, he doesn't look different. Like, his pitches don't look different. They look like Jason Vargas. 87 mile an hour fastballs <laughs> right yeah well I, I think that's fair on the Cy Young speech part of things uh, in a world where that happens everything's fair game <laughs> yeah really uh, yeah you, you look at I don't know my my first thought especially if I haven't seen a guy pitch uh, a whole lot I didn't I didn't get to watch I got I heard some of the game but I didn't get I didn't get to watch him pitch in the complete game and haven't seen any of that yet but first instinct for me is all right let's hop over to Brooks baseball see if there's something weird or different going on and and like you said there's not Uh, the the fastball 
averaging just under 86. Uh, it actually dipped. It averaged just under 84 in the complete game for, you know, however much sense that makes. But he's not throwing any harder or softer, really, than he typically has. Um, you, you look at his pitch usage. I guess the one thing is, he's even though that fastball is not fast, he's thrown it more this year than he did uh, the last three. Uh, granted, mm. it, those weren't all full seasons. Um, you know, so it's not the most information we've ever had. But the sinker has gone down a little bit compared to years past, and the four seam is up, uh, you know, a little bit. And I, I don't know. I don't know if that means anything. I don't know if that has any chance of making it more successful. But, man, does it, you know, we mentioned Keichel earlier. Man, does it give them the perfect cover at the moment? Well, yeah, right. That part is a little frustrating, but I'm still happy that Jason Vargas is doing well. I mean, and like, it's not like his, like, like his bad, like the batted ball profiles off his pitches are much different either. Like, it's not like he's being hit like harder or softer than before, which is also strange to me. Cause I was like, oh, maybe he's just inducing a lot of soft contact all of a sudden, but that doesn't seem to be it either. I can't solve this mystery. Yeah. And like, if it was- maybe. I don't know, maybe the whiff rates are up a little bit on some, on like his changeup. I know that he's getting a few, like just based on my, I haven't looked at the actual whiff, whiff rates on his various pitches, but I know that like just based off watching him, I did not see Wednesday's start either. I watched the highlights later, but I didn't see the actual game. Um, so I had to watch the highlights to like accept that it was real. I was like, this is fake news. I don't believe that this is real. <laughs> um, so I watched the highlights to be like, this actually happened. Um, but like based on the Vargas starts I have seen during this like good stretch he's had, like just like based on my intuition and eye test, like it seems like he's getting a few more swings and misses on his changeup than he had been when he was getting massacred every night. But that's just me spitballing. Yeah, I, that's so. Looking at the numbers uh, overall on the year, his whiff rates are down across the board, but. The changeup has been fairly high, not not in every start, but uh, certainly in the stretch that he's done well, he's gotten swings and misses with it uh, a little bit better than he had before. Uh, yeah. The curveball did too in the complete game, although, yeah. I mean, he hasn't thrown that many curveballs, but he didn't have a single swing and miss on it until May fifth. Nope, sorry, May twenty fifth. Yeah. Um. He hadn't really been throwing it at all. Right. So, yeah, I I don't know. And if it was just the Giants, you'd be like, oh, all right, it was the Giants. And then he had a few starts where they put him through the order twice, and he was capable. And you might look at it differently. But the Dodgers were the start before this one. Yeah, and he only gave up, was it one run or two against them? Uh, let's see. I think it was just. I one. know they lost the game two nothing, but I can't remember if Jason Vargas gave up both those runs or only one of them. Yeah, I oh, know only one. Seven only innings. Only one. Six strikeouts, three walks, six hits, one run. I mean, against the Dodgers, that's pretty damn good. That's impressive. 
and the Dodgers, like, I that was the start where I was like, this Vargi house of cards is about to come tumbling down because the, the like Cody Bellinger's gonna hit four home runs off Jason Parkins, and it didn't happen. It yeah. was pretty impressive. I mean, the Mets gave him no run support, which was unfortunate, but right. that, that was that was really impressive. That was when I was like, maybe something's happening for real. That's like kind of the start where I felt like it wasn't all completely smoke and mirrors. I still can't figure out exactly what's happening, but that's when I was like sort of convinced that it's not like fake. Yeah. Yeah, and this, I, and this I, I don't know. this complete game backs that up. I don't know. I know it's the Giants, like you said, but like complete game shutout is not easy against any team. Right. Yeah. And uh, I say this frequently. I, it, unless there's a, a reason that goes beyond baseball, if the guy's in a Mets uniform, I'm going to be pulling for him to succeed, no matter what I thought of whether or not he should be on the roster or be starting or you know have the role that he has on the team of course you know you're a Mets fan you want the players who are playing for your team to do well even if the front office and ownership and manager have not you know on a broader in a broader sense given the team the best chance to win so with all that said his next start is scheduled to be at Yankee Stadium which Yeah, I, I don't know if there could be a better test of like, all right, you think this is going well? Yeah, that's not a positive environment for him to be pitching in. It's and it's not just his opponent; it's also you know, for a flyball pitcher, Yankee Stadium is like nightmare-inducing. Yeah, I mean, even Johan after the no-hitter, which I did not attend and still regret. Uh, Ooh, I went to his next start was which was at Yankee Stadium, and I think Cano went deep twice against him if i remember correctly that hurts even more now and that was <laughs> yeah I, I i mean i love robinson cano and i'm i'm i will be i will support his uh likelihood to come back and be a great hitter because he's always been one but um oh yeah i will die on that hill the haters online are making me mad <laughs> yeah yeah but Unfortunately, I did see the uh, the start at Yankee Stadium. I think not great. Wait, was that no? Was that not right after? Oh no, that was a different year. Never mind. Don't listen to me. Unless it happened twice. Mm, that's during my like lost period of like not knowing much about Mets history because I mean like I watched the no hitter. I remember that obviously, and I watched it. But, like, during my college years, I didn't get SNY, and I didn't have MLB.TV either. So I wasn't watching the Mets regularly. So my, like, Mets history knowledge of years 2009 to 2013 is, like, very fuzzy for the most part. Gotcha. Like a black hole in my Mets knowledge. So I'm not, like, I don't remember a lot of it. So it did did happen. uh, He got totally rocked twice at Mm. Yankee Stadium. Uh, Maybe maybe more times, but... It did happen. It, it was the start after the no-hitter. Five innings, six runs, just, you know, batting practice type stuff. Uh, and since mm. we're revisiting that time period again here briefly, it's worth reminding everybody. Ted Berg had fought this good fight online for a while to uh, try to just make things logical. He 
threw 134 pitches in that no hitter, but he had a 2.38 ERA at the end of that, and he had a 2.76 at the end of June, despite getting shellacked by the Yankees and then having another right. not so great start against the Rays in his his start after that. So you know, for that month, and yeah, it includes the no hitter, but for that month he had a 2.77 ERA. So. Mm-hmm. the ankle yeah. injury and everything else, how long his shoulder would have held up, I think is a fair question. But again, don't, don't murder Terry Collins for. Yeah. It's hard to pin it that. entirely on that. Um, and that kind of like, um, that reminds me of another, like we in a weirdly like roundabout way reminds me of another thing that I wanted to like briefly bring up about Jason Vargas. Cause I, again, I seem to be like, really in the minority about this so i want to i want a sanity check from you if you like agree or disagree with me on this and feel free to disagree but i was kind of i was kind of not in favor of pushing him to the ninth inning like i was like why are we doing this in a seven nothing game like it seems silly to make jason vargas throw and it's not like i think that jason vargas is injury prone because he's not particularly injury prone i mean he did have some injuries while he was on the meds but like throughout his career i mean so it's not like the same thing as like zach wheeler or anything like that but i was kind of like you know he's been a five inning pitcher during his like entire tenure with the mets and now you're making him throw 120 pitches all of a sudden it kind of it, it raised a few red flags to me i'm not like irate but i was kind of like about that yeah I, I i get it and you know i mean he's he's not a guy who's going out there throwing 95 to 105 pitches every start and then all right you know have him throw 10 to 15 more uh right. th- than his norm it, this is a guy who has been uh, you know in the 70s i mean when he got destroyed it was even lower but 70s 80s it was just three starts before this one. He threw 50 pitches yeah, in just four innings. So, yeah, that I think that's a fair concern. I, I, I think – I mean, I was, I was paying attention to the game. Not – I wasn't watching, but I was paying attention late, uh, and I had the radio broadcast on, I think, for the eighth and ninth innings. And I think I, I would have been okay with it in real time if I had been following it a little more closely. Um, if only because – it was like, okay, here's an opportunity for the guy who never goes deep into a game to give the bullpen a night off. Yeah, um, that's fair. So, yeah, I I would imagine that they would be mindful. Uh, they might, going into Yankee Stadium, they might have the two times through the order attitude with him despite yeah. his recent success. Yeah, I think I think they might. And, like, I mean – you know, <laughs> it is nice to give the bullpen a day off, but we're kind of like we're kind of at the point where it's like it's it's hard for me to blame Mickey Calloway for this because it's like, are we really at the point where you don't trust Wilmer Font to throw one inning in a in a game where you have a seven run lead? It's kind of like, is does he have that much PTSD at this at this point? And you wouldn't blame him if he did. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that that's probably the bigger point they have at least font maybe santiago as well and you know, even the rest of the bullpen the non diaz lugo portion of it it's uh, and familia's been better lately too I'll, I'll give him credit for that but he threw a clean ninth inning today looked very very solid yeah i think over the last well since he came back from the il he's been maybe not fantastic but i think 
showing signs that he might not be totally fried. Yeah, which is encouraging. So, yeah, but that that's the bigger point and the bigger concern. But the craziest thing is that we just had a conversation about Jason Vargas where I brought up Johan Santana in a way yep. that was like I was making an actual comparison. What? Like, <laughs> we, I mean, Jason Vargas has the second best DRA in this on the starting staff on June the 6th. The, that's the world we live in, Chris. <laughs> it it and is. And DeGrom better watch out or he's going to catch him too. It's not like they're that far apart either. Like DeGrom's ERA is what? 3.2 something. Yeah, it's in the, it, I think the three twos, three threes, somewhere around there. And now Jason Vargas is down to like three, four or something. Yeah, let's see. I, I, I've never had shame about looking up stats while recording the uh, podcast. So. Oh, Jacob DeGrom is 3.49. And... Vargas is uh, 3.57. Yep, so they're like really close to each other. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I mean, look, it's... If all the other guys improve and he wants to maintain his ranking... And I, well, actually, uh, when you when you filter it for starting pitchers Vargas is the best and it's not even close because he had that miserable outing in the ninth inning against the twins oh right and yeah I, I, that I, jacked up his ERA yeah a lot yeah I still don't his ERA is his ERA I I, I would count that for it but as a starter he has a 2.84 ERA right now <laughs> oh my gosh and, and um and that 1.5 at uh, 1.85 ERA mark, it's worth pro- pointing out since April 19th, is the third lowest in the National League, only behind like Hyunjin Ryu and um, I think it's like Walker Bueller or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they ran a graphic. It was something. That, yeah, something yep. like that. Yep. <laughs> so this is the world we live in, where Jason Vargas has, as a starter, the best ERA of the starting staff. That's that's something else. Yeah, it is truly bizarre. Uh, I do think Wheeler and Syndergaard will get themselves under four. Syndergaard hopefully under three eventually. Yeah. But, you know, it's uh, it is a strange sport sometimes. Yeah, can't predict baseball, Susan. Yeah. So <laughs> so with that, uh, we'll we'll. Do what we do every week, and Allison will start with you. What music are you into right now? Uh, what What's your music recommendation for our listeners this week? Um, so I'm going to do a rather unconventional one, and not necessarily talk about like you know the latest album that's in my earbuds or whatever. Um, but I want to give a shout out to the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra um, here in Baltimore because they do fantastic work. Um, and I've been to see them a few times uh, while I've lived here. And they are really struggling for money right now. Um, they're doing job cuts um, and things like that. They're really cutting down on their schedule of performances and things like that because they just don't have enough funding. So if you are ever in the area, in the Baltimore area, please, please, please consider going to see the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra. They are world class. And... Um, I know that uh, New Yorkers, who are the predominant listeners of 
this podcast probably um, are used to, you know, high high quality arts and entertainment being in this in the city that has some of the best of that in the world. But, um, you know, the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra is right up there. Um, they do fantastic work. And I was really sad to see all the news recently about the job cuts and they're struggling for money and everything like that. So if you get a chance when you're in Baltimore and you have a few days uh, and you need like you want some like cultural thing to check out, please check out the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra. They are great. So, yep, that's my music for this week. Nice. I like I like it. That's. Uh... Yeah, it, well, my recommendation feels <laughs> unimportant in comparison, I guess, but. That's okay. Uh, but yeah, no, it's that. That's awesome. Um, it's it's definitely something you know. Being in New York City, you might take it for granted that they're here. You, they they do free shows, uh, usually one in each borough each summer. Uh, the shows at Lincoln Center are obviously a little more expensive than free, but even as somebody who doesn't listen to a ton of classical music, it is nice knowing it's always right there or i can you know I, I still haven't gone to one but seeing an orchestra do a full star wars show uh they did some live you know live performances to the movie so you know screening yeah. screenings of the old movies that kind of thing uh, I, I know i'm probably uh selling uh classical music here a little bit but you know it's uh it's nice that it's always here and it's definitely something that you don't always think of when you go somewhere else. So that is, that is a good point. And yeah. And the BSO did, um, Harry Potter. So in a similar vein, they have done, you know, they, every year, like, I forget what year they started it. Um, like a few years ago they did, you know, a live similar to the star Wars. They did like a live, um, showing screening of the movie with the music being the soundtrack being played live by the orchestra. Um, and they did the first Harry Potter movie. And then every subsequent season, they did one, the next Harry Potter movie until they went, I don't think they're even done yet. I think that they like still have to do, I think they were on number five last time I looked from this past season. Um, so, you know, I've been to a couple of those specifically cause I'm like a huge Harry Potter fan. Um, so yeah, the Baltimore symphony orchestra also does like really fun things like that. So that you might want to keep an eye out when those specific shows are happening if that's something that you're into awesome yeah uh so for me yeah i did spend a bunch of new records recently but uh i i hope i'm not duplicating recommendations yet i'm going to start keeping track soon i promise <laughs> but <laughs> but uh an album that i had heard a little bit in college and came out uh well I guess it came out in or shortly after college, but back in 2006, uh, Built to Spill, You in Reverse. It's a band that's been around and recommended, and I know people who had loved them for years before college and uh, remained that way and all that, but for whatever reason, that album clicked with me recently, and they're coming around later this summer, or maybe technically early fall. I forget exactly when. Uh, with a few shows in New York, so I'm looking forward to checking one of those out and giving this band a chance, and hopefully not going like, oh, why did I not like them for the last 13 years? But there, you know, there's nothing wrong with finding new music uh, whenever you do, and appreciate appreciating it from that point on. So that is my music recommendation for the week. Fantastic. Uh, 
Um, all right, here's the part where I try to do what Brian does. Uh, we're on AmazingAvenue.com. That's where our awards are. On Twitter, Brian, he, he's not here, but we, you should still follow him if you're not already. Uh, at Brian Needs a Nap. Uh, Allison's at Petite PhD. I am at Chris McShane. And what else? Um, we could always use some emails. Uh, so check out the post for details on that. If you're listening to this, you probably already know, but you can get this podcast pretty much anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. There might be other ways, uh, and certainly by visiting the site. And, uh, yeah, with that, Allison, thanks again. And uh, we'll be back next week. Yep, anytime, Chris. Thanks. Oh, and as Brian would say, let's go Mets. Yes, let's go Mets, always. Always.